Today is a, a, a super encouraging day for me, and, and I, I feel like it's a wonderful day for our church. Uh, uh, Kevin Sendell has uh, been part of our church with his wife, Laura, for eight years. Um, they have two beautiful kids, Emma and Kate, and they have a third beautiful kid that's growing um, in mom, and uh, it's a boy, and that's fantabulous. like to have a boy. That's super exciting. Um, you, you will, there will be a lot of um, mercy in your lives for that, for that. Boys are different. There's going to be a lot of pain and struggle with boys that you never have with girls. Um, but boys are going to test you, and it's going to be really hard. But the Lord will be with you, I promise. I'm kind of joking. I'm kind of half joking. I have three boys, and I love them so much. But they are um, wonderfully uh, sanctifying and um, growth-stimulating. <laughs> In ways that my firstborn Marie is um, yet to catch up with, um, but she can hold her own. Anyway, so Kevin has been working really hard for a couple of months now on this message. He has spent many hours on it, and uh, it's been a, a treat to work with him and to see his heart and his excitement over it. Um, and uh, hopefully, this will not be the last time, but the beginning of of more. Uh, and Jim is going to be preaching at the end of July as well. Um, and so, <clears throat> it, this kind of represents like a, a, a new season. I feel like for our church of seeing some new shoots spring up uh, through uh, the ground in terms of leadership and care for us. And, uh, and, and so I'm super excited about, about Kevin's care for our church and his willingness to do this. Um, his mom and dad are here. We're super blessed to have him as well, to have them as well. So um, would you guys please welcome Kevin Sandell as he brings God's word to us today. All right. Good morning. Is this... Like, pretty good? All right, awesome. Albert told me not to shout into this, so I'll just talk in a normal voice. If, John, if I'm just too loud, just tell me to do this, all right? All right, so I'm Kevin. I'm one of the uh, members here. Uh, Laura and I uh, have a care group, which we are blessed to be a part of, um, and so we are really blessed to be at this church. Can we pray, and then we'll get started, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, we are just so blessed we can meet here on a Sunday, and to spend time with other believers, spend time studying your word, singing to you, talking to you. Lord, I pray today that uh, the words coming out of my mouth would directly reflect um, you, that the people here would, would not see me up here talking, but uh, hear your voice um, coming out of this body, Lord. I am just so honored to be able to present uh, a passage that's been on my heart for a while, Lord. Pray that you would... Uh, Open my heart and uh, open the hearts of, of everyone listening. We lift all these things in your name. Amen. All right. So today we're going to look at a passage from Matthew chapter eleven twenty five, And um, the message today is going to be on rest. So if we can get, there you go. We're going to talk about the Lord's rest today. And Jesus tells all of us to come to me, everyone who is weak and tired and heavy laden, and he will give you rest. He invites us to find rest and promises us to give us rest. And that's why this is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible um, and, and, and memorized. And it's easy to understand why so many people gravitate to these passages. Because our culture spends billions of dollars every year promoting rest. All right, And I, I have uh, some slides here um, just showing you about rest. And there you go. So... 
I, from time to time, like, look at deals, and every once in a while, like, on, our, on these deal websites, they're really promoting, like, rest recently. And so one of the, the way our culture does it by giving you rest is, hey, let's buy things to make you, you know, sleep better, to make you rest better, because obviously if you sleep better and you rest better, then you'll be more productive, you'll make more money, you'll be happier, those kinds of things. So in, this, in these uh, pictures here, you have a weighted blanket, which I did not know was a thing, but it's a, it's a new thing. I've considered getting one for Laura. Uh, they have like 15-pound blankets, 20 pounds. I don't know what they do, but apparently they're very, they're very like, hip right now. So if you're looking for a gift for Father's Day or you know, birthday, those are cool. Now, the, the second one is a hyperbolic chamber, which those are more like $15,000. So if you have a, a few extra thousand, uh, pro athletes use these a lot, and it's for people to go in there and sleep. And so, like, if you've had a really rough game, there's oxygen that is, is poured out, and apparently it helps you heal faster. This is a professional athlete on the uh, New York Giants. Um, he was showing kind of him there. And then the MyPillow, I've never seen it, but apparently it's all the new rage, like Bed Bath & Beyond, all these places sell it. So our culture spends all this time and money helping us to rest. All right? And it's funny because, like, as I reflect, I'm in my bed for a third of my day. Eight to ten hours, if I'm lucky, ten uh, I'm in my bed. So it makes sense why our culture is, is really stressing this. And so it's important in our household. So for the last five months, I have been working on a project for my girls. All right. And I think I have some slides for this too of Em and Kate's bunk bed. So I've understood that Em and Kate, they like sleeping and we like them to sleep too and be comfortable. So for the last five months, I've given up their nap times to work on this. And, and here, one of the pictures is just all the wood. I went to Lowe's. I had to look at all the wood. I cut them. I sanded them. It took like 20 hours to sand them. It, it was ridiculous. Painted them. And then, of course, we assembled it. And so the reason why I spent so much time and effort and money doing this is because Emma and Kate are going to spend a third of their day in these beds resting. And so I just thought, you know, how important it is for them to have that physical rest. And as I was looking at this passage today, you know, Jesus isn't necessarily talking about a physical kind of rest here. He's talking more about that spiritual kind of rest here. While Jesus will meet our physical needs, he's talking about this spiritual refreshment that he will give us if we're linked to Jesus. His promise, come to me, is simple. And it really is, is, is very simple compared to some of the other um, religions out there, such as Buddha. There is a four-fold piece uh, for you to get rest. Islam offers you five pillars, and if you go to any Barnes & Noble or any Amazon or any bookstore, you will find an entire section of how to gain rest. So what does Jesus offer here? He offers himself. He says, come to me. And so today, the way I thought we'd get around this passage is by talking about three different kinds of people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew eleven twenty-five. All right. So if we can, so here they are. Those with no rest, those who are restless, and those with full rest. All right, so can we read uh, Matthew eleven twenty five 25 uh, before we get started? At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Is that it? Uh, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's take a look at the first person that Jesus is talking about here. The person with no rest. So one of the biggest fears for me is not getting enough sleep. And I have an example for, it, for you. Uh, when I was in high school and even through now, one of my big traditions was going Black Friday shopping. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done Black Friday shopping. I enjoy it. So with my dad's family, we would go up to Pittsburgh on Thursday morning for Thanksgiving, about three or four hours away, spend the whole day there, have a lot of good food, watch some football, and then we would travel back that night. Typically, we had something the next day we had to get back for. And you know, we would try to stay and, and visit with family so we wouldn't leave until, I don't know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And we wouldn't get back until 1 or 2 in the morning. And we then decided, hey, let's get up and go Black Friday shopping you know, the next day. And you know, we'd get up at like 5 a.m. But for some reason, that was, was very stressful to me, going to bed really late, two or three in the morning maybe, and then getting up at like five or six in the morning to go Black Friday shopping. That was always like a huge anxiety piece for me, not getting that physical rest. Now the people Jesus is talking to here, they're not necessarily talking about this physical rest, but this spiritual rest. And Jesus knew that they weren't getting the spiritual rest they needed. And he wanted to help these people as best as they could. So let's talk about why they weren't getting rest. Well, the main reason is because the religious leaders were leading them astray. They were leading them away from the truth, and it was exhausting to these people. Jesus discusses how he felt about these religious leaders, such as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. So in verse 25, if we can pull that up again, let's take a look at that. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. So Jesus is talking about two different kinds of people here. He's talking about wise and understanding, and then he's talking about little children. What I think is interesting about this is that it doesn't matter what walk of life you're from, you fall into either one of these boats. It doesn't matter where you live, your income, your social status, any of those things, it does not matter. You fall in one of these two boats. Wise and understanding, the earthly wise and understanding, which we'll get to in a second, or a little, ch- or a little child here. Now, when I was unpacking this, when I was studying, and just let you know, Albert and I had really good discussions. So thank you, Albert, for all your preparation and, and all that you've done for this. But as we were kind of looking at this together, it's interesting when I saw the word wise and understanding. And the reason why I thought that was interesting is because the whole book of Proverbs is written to people so they can, can be wise and understanding. There are countless verses out there saying how important it is to be wise and to, to have understanding. But Jesus is stating here that these people who are wise and understanding only have it in an earthly, selfish way. These people are self-sufficient and they pride themselves on how wise they are and not on God. This is a kind of arrogant self-pride which will always alienate us from God. And it leads us to think that we can find salvation in ourselves and not in God's mercy. Just a few verses before this, we didn't read it today, but Jesus actually talks about three cities that were this earthly wise. They saw all Jesus' miracles, but they didn't put their trust in Jesus. And and that was a huge issue. Now, here, it's pretty clear that he's talking about the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees would have been there listening to him. And... They were the professionals in knowing the scriptures. They dressed a a specific way. They would have known anything 
that would have been in the, the Old Testament. But their pride was what that did not allow them to see Jesus for who he really was. James writes, God always resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we look at the wise understanding, well, what are these characteristics? Well, they think they can do things their own way, and they don't need a savior. The religious leaders and Pharisees of the time tried to create a system where your merits, your good deeds, how you prayed, what you said, how you dressed, was what was important. The other problem was the synagogue was a, a huge social part of the, their community. So if you didn't listen to the Pharisees, if you didn't do what they asked or, or what they required, then you could be excommunicated from their synagogue. And so much of their social status and so much of their friendships and family were tied up into this, this synagogue that a lot of these people just chose to follow them blindly. And this in turn enslaved many of the people and gave them no rest. The people of that day felt they had to follow the Pharisees and what their law said. And Jesus knew this was the wrong doctrine. He knew they were exhausted. And so Jesus here gives hope for, the rest of, for, for these people who have been spiritually sleepless and trying to measure up to the law for their whole lives. Jesus uses two phrases here. All of you who labor and all of you who are heavy laden to describe the two different circumstances that these people were facing. So let's take a look um, at uh, Matthew 28 really quickly, just that verse. He says, come to me, all you who labor, said one way, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's look at all who labor. So Jesus was talking to this group of people, people that had been laboring as much as they could. They deeply sought the impossible standards of trying to achieve perfection that were placed on them by the religious leaders of the day. The best way to describe this is that they were working basically to utter exhaustion. They were exhausted. So that's your labor. And then your heavy laden um, is another way that, that Jesus describes the people this day. And, and the best way that, that I can illustrate this is through uh, a popular book called, John, uh, called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I actually read that when I was in middle school and I remember like it was a really, really, it was a fascinating book. But the story begins with a character named Pilgrim and he has this really heavy burden on his back and he tries everything he can to get this burden off and he can't. And it really bothers him. And then one day he meets Jesus and that burden is removed by Jesus and he feels so free from that. This is the analogy of this heavy burden that the Pharisees were putting on these people's backs. They had this burden of things they had to do, things that they had to talk about and look like and, and, and pray about. But Jesus knew that the only way they could really have this rest was by coming to him. The term heavy laden indicated that at some point a great load was dumped on this person's back. So together the terms laboring and heavy laden represent people who were utterly exhausted by the demands of trying to live up to all the expectations the Pharisees put on them. So I can relate to this. Before I was saved, probably when I was a little kid, um, you know, I, I prayed and I read the word, but for some reason Satan had convinced me that there was a certain way I had to pray or a certain way I had to read the Bible or 
if I wasn't doing it this way or I didn't pray for half an hour or read a certain amount of scripture every day, that I was doing it wrong. And I almost felt like he was whispering into my ear, you have to keep doing this. Like I was getting to that, that it was almost rote. And then I almost felt like, you know, bad things could happen to me if I didn't pray long enough or read the Bible long enough. And to be honest, it, w- it was exhausting because you just never knew. You never knew if you had read enough, if you had prayed enough, if you had done th- the right things. And that was just the, the, this whisper that Satan kept telling me over and over bef- before I became a Christian. So what do people do who feel like that? Well, Jesus says, come to me. He uses the word come. It's a command. This word is another way of saying faith. We need to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And when we do that, when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus for our salvation, we have peace. We have rest with God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, which I think of a slide for. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace and rest with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is stating here that we receive our greatest rest when we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see, sin puts us at war with God. Because, our, because of our sin, we are under condemnation and eternal judgment. And the answer is not to try to earn salvation through obedience of rules, doing things good for people, um, but to trust God's free gift of Jesus paying for our sins on the cross. When we do this, God declares our war with him over. He declares that our sins are paid in full and he makes peace with us. This is where our rest truly does come from. Rest from trying to earn our own salvation. But we can only rest if we have this belief in Jesus as our Savior. And so if you're not a believer yet, uh, I'm grateful that you're here. If you're needing this eternal rest, Jesus can help you this morning. All you have to do is confess your sins to God and trust that Jesus took all your punishment for the sins that, that you've done, that he rose from the grave. If this is true of you, then you can rest from trying to earn your salvation and instead rest in what Jesus has done for us. If that's you, please you know, see me or, or Albert or someone here because it really is an eternal rest th- that you can have. So that's the first person I think Jesus is talking about here. The person with no rest. So let's take a look at the second person that I feel that Jesus is talking about here. Those who are restless. Jesus offers us rest not only uh, when we're saved, but as we continue to walk with him through the struggles of life. Have you guys ever had a restless or a stirring sleep? Well, I certainly have. A restless sleep I've, I characterize as tossing, as turning, as you close your eyes for five minutes and then you wake up and it's only 10 minutes later. All right? It's, it's, it's awful. I tend to feel like when I have these nights, my mind is focused on something that is not godly, such as the stresses of the next day, caring for my family, something at school. And I feel like that Satan has, has been telling me, let's, you know, let's start putting all these thoughts into your head that, that are not of God, of stress of the next day. Jesus talks to people who are restless, and he's talked to me many times about these situations. So, We may have believed and accepted that Jesus rose from the dead and forgiven our sins, 
but we sometimes still tend to be self-sufficient. And, and that's this person I'm talking about, those who are restless. Those who have accepted Jesus, but there are areas in their life that they tend to feel they want control over. And for me, in many of my instances, it's been that anxiety, that me trying to take control over a situation which 99% of the time, there's n- I can't control it. All right? So that, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Um, it's really exhausting to try to control your own life. And Jesus talks about helping us through the metaphor of a yoke. Okay, so verse 29. Let's take a look at verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So when I read this probably the first several times, when I heard the word yoke, there was one thing that popped into my head. And John, can you actually go to the next slider? Um, the meaning on the left is what I always thought of, an egg yolk. All right? A yoke is typically not something that the American culture would hear about. Uh, now, people back in Jesus' day would have obviously heard of, of what a yoke and, and Obviously, the yoke that Jesus is talking about is, is the one here with the animals on the right. So the more that I did some research on a yoke, it's amazing this analogy that Jesus uses. So let me tell you a little bit what I learned. So this yoke was designed typically by a carpenter, and it was made of wood. Jesus, being a carpenter, probably made yoke for farmers. And I was talking to Lord about this. Wouldn't it have been amazing to go to Jesus when he was a, when he was a carpenter and say, hey, can you make me a yoke? How precise do you think his yoke would have been? Like it would have been like form-fitting, perfect for the animals uh, that he would have made. So what, what, what would happen is a farmer would bring both of the animals that would need a yoke to the carpenter and they would measure the, the piece of wood so it would fit perfectly on the animal's back. Um, it was designed for two different animals. The yoke was used to bring the strength of two different animals together so you would have you know, both the, their strengths being multiplied, basically. The two animals of the yoke were different, though. One of the animals was very experienced. And typically what they would do is put a less experienced animal next to it. And you're thinking, well, wh- why would they do that? Well, the experienced animal would be tuned into the commands of the master and would be kind of listening for that and would be training the second animal. The animal provide the trained one provide direction, leadership, help, and training for this unlearned member of the team. So I believe these commands from Jesus, take his yoke, speaks to what it is to be in a yoke with him. And the way that I saw the metaphor was Jesus is in our yoke with us. He is the He is the one that is hearing from God, and we are the ones that are supposed to be listening to this to Jesus' experience and following him. It doesn't always go that way, though, in, in my life because I'm sometimes self-sufficient. And while, you know, I've, of course, understood salvation and, and accepted God, there are areas in my life that I haven't given over to him in times. And I've tried to be in charge of my own yoke. And Jesus was still next to me, helping me, but there are times when I wanted to be the one in charge. And so I wanted to illustrate kind of what this looked like for me. So several years ago, 2014, it was a very, very busy year, and, and it, it was difficult for me on, on a lot of uh, levels. Starting the year, January, I somehow pulled a muscle getting out of a chair. I did not know I pulled a muscle at the time, but I had this, like, really bad pain for months. And I thought, I Googled it, and, of course, you know, Dr. Google told me I had cancer. You know, I was doing this, this, and this, and I was going to die in, like, two months. All right, so that didn't, that didn't help anything, any of the, the stress that I had. 
Uh, that's January. In February, we found out we were pregnant with our first daughter, Emma, which was really exciting. But I almost felt like I wasn't ready to be a dad. Like, being a father is it's an amazing thing, but I was never one before. And so that was kind of stressful. Um, after those two events, I started having some stress headaches, restless sleep, kind of irritable, and I was not feeling myself at all. To complicate matters, I was offered a promotion at work. I was going from a teacher in the classroom to being out of the classroom. And my principal submitted paperwork to our superintendent at the time to say, hey, I want to take Kevin and make him this technology guy. And she submitted it to the superintendent, I think it was in March. February came around, didn't hear anything. May, June, nothing. And this was kind of getting me stressed because I'm one of those guys, I like routine. I just want to know, is it going to work out? Is it not? Fine. But the stress keeps comp compounding, and I wasn't trusting in God at this time. I was trusting my own things. My headaches and sleepless nights got worse. I remember Laura and I took a vacation to Virginia Beach, kind of like a, a baby moon kind of thing, and, and we were camping. And I just remember two or three nights of, of, of sleepless, like it was sleepless. I, I, I don't think I slept at all. I felt terrible. And it was because I was trying to control things I couldn't control. I could not control this thing at work. Couldn't really control being a dad at the time. Um, and it was, it was awful. And so one day at, after church, I finally broke down. And a good friend and our care leader, Fred, uh, noticed I was upset. And he took me aside and he said, hey, you know, explain to me what, what was up. And it was just like, I just poured out everything uh, of these feelings. I said, I just can't, I can't live like this anymore. And him and Jackie invited us over to lunch that, that afternoon with Laura and I, and, and we had a, a really great lunch, and, and Fred reminded me of the truths uh, of the gospel, and he, and he prayed for me, and um, it was really encouraging that there was someone there that, that could support me and remind me of those truths. So if you're in that season of life that you feel like there's something in your life that you're self-sufficient in, that you have not given up to God, there is good news. Jesus can give you that rest. And so I created four different things that, that God helped me through this, this time that I, I still reflect on of how to give over some of these things. So here's some lessons that I learned during my restlessness and maybe, you know, maybe one or two of these could, could help you out. So number one, Identify where you have not given control over to God and ask God. I've always been amazed that when I ask God where these things are, it's pretty quick how the Holy Spirit says this, this, or this. Like, he's going to want to help you, tell you what those areas are. And the verse that, that I was thinking of, which I kind of mentioned earlier, is that he'll give you more grace. And he'll give you that grace if you're humble. So humbly asking him, Hey, where am I being self-sufficient? Where do I need your extra grace? He'll make it known to you. And those are things that, that you can give to God. So the first point is, ask God where they are. The second thing I've learned in my journey is to seek the word. So the second one is to seek the word um, as to where you are self-sufficient. Self and when, when Fred and I were praying that day, he quoted scripture. He shared scripture with me. And it was so refreshing for me to hear scriptures that I'd heard all my life, but the Holy Spirit just opened your, my ears in a different way that day. And I just put on Second Chronicles 7.14, which is, if my people who are called by my name 
humble themselves. Do you know set humble in both of these? And pray and seek my face and turn from their ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and, and hear their land. So asking God is our first one. Seeking the word where, where you need um, support. And then lastly, the third thing that I learned on my journey of my s- being self-sufficient was seek support from someone you trust and have them pray for you and remind them of the truths. I put on Proverbs 2018, plans succeed through good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. And the war that I was having at that time was a war in my mind. It was a war in my mind. And the scripture and having someone come with me and, and pray for me was the war that, was, that needed to be fought. Okay? So those are three things that have helped me in my times of, of being self-sufficient. So we've looked at two people already. We've looked at someone who's restless. We've looked at someone who has no rest. Now let's finish up with, well, what does Jesus say to the person who feels rested? All right. Can we look at verse 25? At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Now, we've already looked at this, and we, we, we've kind of looked at what Jesus is talking about, the wise and the understanding. But I want to talk about the little children. So what does Jesus say about those who will get rest and who will get it? Well, he tells us right here. Little children. The verse, this verse here, which I think is the ESV, uses the term little children. But a lot of other tra- translations use the word babe or baby. Now, what do we know about babies? Well, they're 100% dependent on their caregivers. Both of our children, when they were young, needed Laura and I for everything. Food, shelter, love, clothing. And it's interesting here that Jesus uses the word little children because I don't necessarily think that a, a little children are, are wise, but, but let's see what Jesus says here. These little children are considered wise because they're helpless and they depend on God's grace to save them. And as a baby, we need to depend solely on God for his salvation. You see, Jesus says here the hidden things will be revealed to people like this, babies, little children. These people are the people that Jesus is talking about uh, that he would consider eternal, wise, and understanding. Like I said, this seems strange because we typically don't see an infant as being wise. But their understanding will not be earthly, but eternal. They will understand the hidden things that Jesus is referring to, which is how to receive his rest. And so here's a good reminder that arrogance shuts the door to communication and fellowship and rest, while humility opens the door with God. So let's quickly look back at the metaphor of the yoke. Remember the illustration of the follower and the learner of Jesus, who is self-sufficient? Whereas Jesus is in the yoke with me, and I'm next to him, and Jesus is telling me, you know, how I should listen to him, and, but I, I kind of want to steer my own way. I kind of want to do my own thing. Well, as a believer and someone who is trying to get this full rest, 
I'm allowing Jesus to be in charge of my yoke. And a person who is like that's childlike. Instead of me calling the shots, me being in charge of these things, Jesus is leading me. We are open to his words and his actions to help him guide us. It's just like a little child with their dad. They want to learn and be like Jesus. So as I was preparing this, I came across a a quote from a man named T.W. Mason, uh, and he wrote a book called The Teaching of Jesus. In his book, he discusses what the phrase, learn from me, would mean in the original Aramaic. He doesn't think that this phrase means pupils, but more of an apprentice. We are not only listening to Jesus, but we are watching and following how he leads in order to be like him. As an apprentice, we will watch closely how Jesus is gentle and humble. We will love this about him, and more and more, we won't want to be like the proud and arrogant religious leaders he is contrasting with. End quote. So as I've shared, I've had issues with stress and anxiety before, and a point that's been really tough on me. Ever since I've been on my journey, I have learned more and more about how to rest in Jesus by allowing him to lead my yoke. So God has given me some simple strategies that I have used to help Jesus, who is next to me, lead my yoke. So here's, I think there's three of them. Uh, Number one is take every thought captive and give it to him. So one of the things that that I've learned on this journey of, of trying to rest in Jesus is if I have an anxious thought, and I'll give you an example. Friday night, we're at care group, and, uh, the next morning, well, we got back late from care group. Next morning, I had to get up early for a yard sale. And I'm sure you can imagine going to bed late, getting up early, those kinds of things. There were these anxieties like starting to, to well up in me. And what I did was I took, thought, took captive that thought. I can't do anything about tomorrow. I can't. So kind of what I've done in my head as a visual is whatever that thought was, I kind of like put it in my hand like this. And I take it captive. And then I just open my hand up and lift it up and say, can you just please take that? And so the verse here that, that, I, that I've really gone to a lot is 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. For the weapons of our warf- warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the language of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when I have those anxious thoughts, those thoughts that aren't good, I, just, I take them like this, I take them captive, and then I just lift them up and say, could you please take them from me? And that's really one of those things that's really helped me uh, in, in this walk when I have anxious thoughts. Uh, number two is staying connected with the word and allow him to speak through his truths. And the one I thought here is James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've learned that the more that I stay in the word and the more that you know, we go to care group and we talk with other believers, that God speaks through his word. He'll speak through other believers. And that's really important to stay rested and in his yoke and listen to his truths that he has for you. And point, the, the third one of just some strategies I've used to, to stay in his yoke and to listen to him so that I can have this rest is come to him in community. That's why we exist here as a church. That's why we have care groups. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have lunch after church on the first Sundays. We need to stay with him in community. In Galatians 6, 2 is carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. These three things have reminded me of how God has been faithful and things that I can do when I need his rest. And as his apprentice, 
I hopefully can, can do these things as best as I can by his grace. And my ultimate goal is to be like him. So in closing, Jesus is our rest. And what does he promise to those who rest in him? Well, let's look at Matthew eleven thirty. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. While being in the yoke with Jesus will include work, Jesus would not have used the metaphor, the analogy of a yoke if it was going to be easy. A yoke was meant for work. We will have to do work, but we will have joy and love because we are doing it beside Jesus who is in our yoke with us. Jesus will provide us with the strength we need to complete any activity that he's given to us. He can help us with any situation because he says here, his burden is light. He says, I'm going to share your load. Stick with me. Go shoulder to shoulder. And he's going to carry your load and he'll help you out. Instead of doing things for Jesus, we are doing things with Jesus here. So if you're feeling overloaded, overstressed, burned down this morning, it's because you're not listening to Jesus who's in your yoke with you. I feel like every time that I get detached or that that I'm trying to do my own thing in my yoke, Satan slips in there and he whispers that I can do it. I can handle my problems and my stresses by myself. I'm a strong human being, right? This is the lie. And this is one of the lies that Satan used in the garden. To Adam and Eve, you guys will be like gods. You're strong enough. Don't listen to God. What is your greatest need today? What heavy load are you carrying? What pain, hurt, grief, or guilt do you have today? The invitation Jesus has given us includes everything that we struggle with. He wants you to trust in him. And then when you trust in him, he will support and guide you through life with him. So will you hand over everything to him? If you do, he gives forgiveness in exchange for our guilt, rest for our anxious worries, and peace in place of tumult. Let me say that again. If you give everything over to God, he gives forgiveness in exchange for our guilt, rest for our anxious worries, and peace in place of tumult. This can only be true if you seek to give everything over to him. Jesus who abides in us gives us the grace and the strength that we need for every moment that comes to us. He won't give it to us all at once, but only as we need it. When the load gets heavy, he'll be there with us. So wherever you are, in whatever I talked about today, whichever person Jesus is talking to you about, if you have no rest, if you're restless, or you are resting in him but still just need to take each one of those moments and, and give those to God, Jesus still invites you to come. He says, take his light yoke. Am is too hard, don't come alone. Come to Jesus with a believing friend. He says, believe, abide, and come. And you will find rest for your weary souls. Now we're going to prepare for communion. As we close, we're going to come to Jesus in communion and remember the greatest rest that he gives us, which is a rest from the burden of sins so that we can have a peace with God.